Good morning, and welcome to Journey again. My name is Randy. It's good to have you with us today, especially if you're a guest uh, visiting with us. Um, I'll get a chance to maybe meet you and uh, just welcome to our church uh, personally. I know we have a lot of people traveling all over the place. This is a busy, busy time of year. We're glad you're here, and uh, just hope that uh, you have had thus far a wonderful experience preparing for Christmas and uh, that it does uh, continue to get even better. Well, we're going to be uh, talking about the Christmas story, of course, today. But before we do that, I want to tell you another story, a story that you probably have heard, heard a long time ago. Uh, But I want to refresh your memory because we get a little rusty, a little dusty uh, in these stories. It's the story of Cinderella. And you probably remember that story as a child, right? The story of the little girl uh, whose mother dies and her father, uh, in his grief, uh, does like a rebound thing and he marries this woman. He thinks it's nice, but she turns out to be a, an evil stepmother to Cinderella. Of course, she has two daughters of her own, and so uh, Cinderella's kind of lost there. And then when the father unexpectedly dies himself, uh, she is alone with them, and her life is, uh, becomes one. She becomes their maid, becomes a life of slavery. And then you remember the story of the part in the story where the prince comes along trying to find a princess, and he invites all the women, all the young girls to a ball. And uh, Cinderella wants to go. The evil stepsisters, of course, are going to go. They laugh at Cinderella, but then a fairy godmother comes along and turns these mundane items into a coach and attendants and gives her a beautiful gown, fancy gown that that she wears. And uh, she's able to go to the ball. The only condition, if you remember, is that she has to be home by midnight, of course, enjoying the, the ball and dancing with the prince where he falls in love with her, of course. Uh, she forgets about the time, and at midnight strikes, she runs from the ball, and she drops the, split, the, the slipper, right? And uh, the, the prince finds the slipper and vows that he's going to find the person who owns this, whose, whose foot it must only fit one person, and uh, so he's going to make her his princess. And so you remember the story how that he went, left his, his palace, went out, began a journey of every woman in the kingdom he could try the, the slipper on until he finally finds Cinderella and they live happily ever after. Now, there are a lot of other details, but that's the main part of the story, and you probably remember that. But you know, the story of Cinderella is kind of an underdog story, and we oftentimes, in fact, use that term today to describe someone who is unlikely to succeed. The least likely person to be successful is is the Cinderella person, right? We might even see a Cinderella team make a run in March Madness, and like, man, well, nobody thought these guys would do any good. But here they are, they're on a run. And sometimes, just sometimes, they even win. They become the, uh, the winner of it all. Or maybe you remember a few years ago a movie called Cinderella Man. It was a story of a down-and-out boxer during the Depression. He was broken. He was shattered. But he began uh, to win. And he eventually becomes the world champion. You know, we all love the idea. And we kind of cheer the underdog when we hear stories like that. Um, but what about when it comes to us personally? Very few of us would imagine that we could ever be that Cinderella person that we might think of ourselves very unlikely, but, but what if we were to win it all? What if that were to be us? Now, I share that story before the Christmas story because I want to suggest to you that the entire Christmas story is God saying to every one of us that the Cinderella story is true, and it can be true in our lives, that the slipper fits all of us. And that we can truly live happily ever after, not on this earth necessarily or only, 
but especially in eternity. That's the important thing that we need to remember. So no matter what's in your past, no matter what your present is like, no matter what you've done, there is not a prince, but there's a king instead who loves you and who wants to give you a heavenly home. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story today, and we're going to find out how it really is a Cinderella story by looking specifically at one detail of the story that maybe you never thought a lot about, but you can imagine as we kind of hopefully picture this, how that God shows up unexpectedly to some very special people. Let's read the story, the real Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Uh, this time, we'll, last week we read from Matthew, today we'll read from Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of, of Syria. And everyone went up to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, the thing I want you to see, the detail in this story, that maybe you never noticed a lot or never thought about a lot, uh, was about who the people were that actually received the message first. Who did these angels who were announcing the birth of Jesus, who did they, who did they tell it to? You might think news like this should go to the people on the highest level first, maybe to the kings. But then we think, well, well wait a minute, Herod was the king, and he didn't find out till everybody else already knew, seemingly. He was the last to know, and for a good reason. And what about other world leaders? Wouldn't they announce that to other kingdoms so they would know about this? What about religious leaders? Imagine, since this was a the Son of God, wouldn't the religious leaders want to know first? But interestingly, none of those people heard first. It was actually delivered to shepherds before anybody else. In fact, the song that we sing says, the first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay, right? We've heard that song many times. So the first news of the birth of Jesus Christ actually came to shepherds in the fields nearby. And we've heard that so many times that it just doesn't register with us anymore. That's just a part of the story. That's what happened. There were shepherds out there, and they heard about Jesus, and they went to the manger. Uh, and there we have a picture of them right in our mind's eye. You know, it ought to surprise us, though, because the shepherds 
who they were, were the most unlikely recipients of the news of Jesus in the beginning. See, in that day, the shepherds, as it says, they were living in the fields. They lived out there. They were not a part of the culture, the society around them. And they were considered by most people to be low-class, nomadic people, undereducated, dirty, smelly, and dishonest. That was the persona that these shepherds had in that day. In fact, religious Jews considered them to be unclean. Nobody wanted to touch a shepherd. They were looked down upon. And these particular shepherds worked the night shift. I was thinking about this. You know, we have in our minds that people work shifts, but they probably worked the night shift and the day shift, uh, probably stayed with the sheep 24 hours a day. They were not the people you'd run into town, into in town and, and have friendships with. They were, they were social outcasts. In fact, we might even say in some way that they were Cinderella men. Nobody knew them. Nobody expected anything new. And they, didn't, they never heard from them, probably never talked to them. And yet God unexpectedly sent the angels with the message of Jesus to remind them, hey, you are special. In fact, the slipper fits you specifically. Now, I share that because maybe you might look at yourself in such a similar way. You may be a quiet kind of person. You may be a Cinderella sort. You may be the least of people. Nobody notices you. You're not an outgoing person. You're not an extrovert. You're kind of quiet. You don't get the attention or concern of most people. In fact, you may even feel like you're looked down upon, and you may be in some cases. And because of that, you may look down upon yourself. I've often found the way that people treat us is oftentimes the way we feel about ourselves. And so these shepherds, I'm sure, didn't expect anyone to notice them. And maybe you're a little bit like that yourself. You don't feel so great about yourself. But I want you to know something important, and that is that God cares about you. In fact, He doesn't just care about you. He is madly in love with you. He knows you specifically. In fact, the Bible says not only does He know us, that He knows about every hair on our head. He knows everything about us. He loves us, and He cares about you specifically. He's in love with you. And that's why I think the shepherds matter in this story, an insignificant detail we might think, but a reminder that God will look to the least of these with an, a message, not just the least, but anyone, and that God cares about you and that you matter, just like these shepherds matter. God wants you to know that the message of Jesus Christ can mean spe something special, that you can receive it, that it can change your life. Because the message that comes out from the message of the angel is that people matter, and that God wants the message to be shared with everybody. Not only did they share a message, it was the amazing message that they happened to bring because the announcement was unexpected, but the, the news was unexpected as well. Why would the angels show up in the middle of the night, terrify these guys, which is what happened, to tell them? Because an important thing had, been, had, had, had occurred. A birth had happened. First of all, the angels said the Christ had been born. Now, the word Christ is a, is a title meaning Messiah. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the Bible, we talked about all the prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ from the Old Testament to the New that reaffirms Jesus and reaffirms the Bible in our mind. Many of those prophecies, as we said, were about the coming Messiah, the deliverer who would come to save the people from their sins. And so they were looking for this person, longing for him. He had been promised that he would lead his people. He would deliver them. They thought it was politically, but in reality, it was not only, it was not politically, it was spiritually deliver them from their sins. So the Christ, the Messiah would be born. And then another word that was the angels used was the word Lord, the Lord. So the Messiah would come, but the word Lord means God. Messiah God would be born. Another word was the word Savior. 
So the angels used three separate words to describe who this was who would be born. And that, of course, the Savior is one who saves, not from human danger, but from sin, which is our greatest need, everyone's greatest need. And so the angels' news was not just for these few men, but for everyone. But it began here, it came to the least. But you know, it's not just for the least, of course. It's not just for the downtrodden, it's for everyone. And as I was studying this and thinking about this, there was an interesting theory that I happened upon that I'd never heard before. I don't know uh, if it's just recently been shared, but I think it's a little bit fascinating, and I want to share you about who these shepherds may have been. Some people say that these were not just regular run-of-the-mill shepherds, poor men who were out in the fields, but these men may have actually been priests slash shepherds who were raising sheep that would later be used for temple sacrifice. Now, where does that come from? Well, let me give you some scripture. Some of the Old Testament prophecies talk about some interesting places. Micah chapter 4 says, As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. So where is he talking about? He's talking about the, a place somewhere that once had been great, but now had lost its, its prominence. But dominion would be restored to him, and she would be, this place would be the daughter to Jerusalem. And then in Micah chapter 5, uh, he kind of explains where that is. But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, although you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will count, come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So we know, we talked about this, I think, that Bethlehem would be the place where the Messiah would be born. That was prophesied. So how does this all come together? We know Jesus would be born in, this, in the city of Bethlehem, but how does this text from Micah um, line up as well? You know, one of the other things we talked about when we were talking about the proofs of the, of the Bible were the fact that there were also outside supporting uh, literature or documents that would support um, the prophecies that were, that were given. And one group of those documents are called the Mishnah Regulations. They're a group of documents that record the oral traditions uh, that governed the Jewish people during that day. So there were not just inspired writings of the Bible, there were some ancient documents, and the Mishnah regulations are a part of those. And one of the regulations says this, the keeping of flocks throughout the land of Israel is expressly forbidden, except in the wilderness, only with the only exception being those that were kept for the temple sacrifices. So seemingly it's saying that sheep could not be kept in the town of Bethlehem or near the town, but out in the wilderness. In fact, the only sheep that could be kept in near the town would be the temple flocks. There's also a phrase there in Micah called the watchtower of the flock. And this watchtower was called Magnol Eater and was located somewhere near Bethlehem. So the flocks that were there would probably be the temple flocks reserved for them, and there would be a watchtower that they would go into. The task of watching those flocks from which those perfect lambs would be raised and sacrificed to God was a task that the, the priests themselves were doing. The tradition was that, only, that one shepherd would climb up in the tower and he would keep a watch over the flocks by night and then the other shepherds would be down there with the sheep. Now that watchtower oftentimes was where the ewes were brought in to have their lambs. And then the lambs would be protected so that they would be without spot or blemish. It is even recorded in that day that they oftentimes would take the lambs and they would wrap, wrap them in swaddling clothes to keep them protected and to keep them clean so when they brought them to the temple, they would be perfect. They would be clean, no broken bones, and no injuries. 
Now, I, I thought this was interesting a, a few weeks ago. I was visiting one of my neighbors who has sheep, and he had this blanket over the sheep covered up. And I'm like, is that to keep them warm? And they said, no, that was to protect the wool and to keep it nice and clean and keep it from injury. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I kind of saw a little bit of this with my own eyes. You know, some have suggested that the tower of the flocks was actually the stable where Jesus may have been born. Now, we don't know any of that to be true, but it's kind of fascinating to see uh, how all of that works together. And that could be consistent with what the Bible talks about And wouldn't it be appropriate to think that the perfect Lamb of God would be born near where the lambs being raised for sacrifice were born? How that imagery would come out and those lambs would be protected and offered to God. Well, regardless of whether that story is true or not, and I don't don't know if it is, it's an interesting theory, but there are some lessons for us from this small detail in the Christmas story. The fact that God told told the shepherds first. And here's some things I think are interesting. First of all, is that no one is ever too far away from God. No one is ever too far from God. You know, those shepherds were the most unlikely people uh, to, to get the message first. Nobody, most people didn't know they existed. They would probably be with the sheep at night and lead them out in the wilderness or out, uh, out away from town at some point. Nobody knew these folks, but, but they were never far from God. God knew them. And, and whenever they saw the angels, they, they weren't expecting God. Maybe they weren't that close to God themselves, but God knew they existed. But they were terrified. So as they saw the angel, they were terrified. You know, that's a typical reaction. When people saw an angel in the Bible, they would be terrified. He would just, you know, display all of his glory and power. And so that was pretty typical. But the angel reassured them, if you remember, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, sometimes I think we need that kind of reassurance ourselves because most of us function pretty well in the physical realm, the things that we know around us that we can control. But spiritual things and things outside of our comfort zone kind of terrify us. In fact, for a lot of us, we don't want to even want to think about God. We put that spiritual aspect of our life on the back burner, and we pretty much focus on life as we live it right now. But God wants to remind us that these things are important. And the, and the shepherds were reminded in a terrifying way, but, but they, they began to find peace when the angels alerted them. You don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear God. You know, the reality is that all of us are struggling with our own fears and anxiety and business and, business and life, but sometimes we need to stop and just remind it of the peace that God longs to give us and the fact that God loves us even before we realize it. God looks for us before we even realize that we're lost. And before we start looking for Him, He's he's searching for us. In fact, it says in Romans 5, but God showed His great love for us in sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God. One version says, God showed His love by sending Jesus to us. And so the angel came to announce this to these unlikely people that there wasn't just a child that had been born, but rather that God had come near, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord and a, and a Savior, and to remind us that it's never, doesn't matter who you are, that you can never get too far from God, that you can't come back to find God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. The good news is for all of us. The second thing it reminds us, I think, is that all of us are now invited to come and experience Him. See, the angels didn't just come and announce it and then go away. They actually invited the shepherds to come and see They said, you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, can you imagine what their response was? Do you think there was a lot of conversation about whether they should go or not? 
you know, should we, should we go see the, angel, the, the baby or, or not? I got a feeling they all jumped up and they began to hurry off. And so we had this middle picture of this bunch of stinky shepherds uh, racing through the town in the middle of the night to see a baby. We don't know if the angel gave them directions. We don't know if there was a star already there. But somehow they found the, the, the place and they found the baby that was lying there. And when they found him, they worshiped him. You know, it's amazing how 2,000 or so years later, we have the same invitation today. Come and see Jesus. The Christmas announces every year that Jesus is born, a reminder to us as well as throughout the year, but, but especially now. And the invitation is come and see Jesus. And when we do, we will worship him. It's a natural response. In fact, that's all that we can do. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, one thing we see about him is that Jesus was always inviting people to come to him. The first invitation, or the first announcement was an invitation to come and see the child who has been born. And every time seemingly that Jesus met new people, he would invite them to come to him and see him. He says, come and see to Andrew and Peter and James and John. And whenever we're down, his word says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. So I wonder sometimes why we can't be more like the shepherds and why we just can't take Jesus up on his invitation. Come and see. You know, you're invited. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. We believe that's a very natural path, a very natural process of beginning or seeking him, of believing in Christ, of belonging to the body of Christ, and then becoming what God calls us to be. And the way that begins is a simple invitation. Just come and see. Come and see. The third thing I think that's interesting about this story and this detail is what the shepherds did, because when they went and saw Jesus, they went and told everyone. And that's kind of the thing that we ought to be compelled to do. If we truly see Jesus, we're going to make sure that we go and tell. In fact, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Once we meet Jesus, we're not content to just go back to the life that we were living. I can't imagine these shepherds just quietly tiptoeing back to their sheep and, and waiting to the next day to maybe tell someone if they did. No, seemingly, I can imagine them running from house to house, banging on doors and, and, and telling people. While they had once been probably introverts, now they were extroverts, the, the shepherds were transformed. Now, at some point, I hope because of responsibility, they went back to their flocks, but it says they were glorifying God and praising God for all they had seen and heard. And everyone that they heard were amazed at that. Why? Because two things, it wasn't typical shepherd behavior, but more importantly, was they conveyed exactly what they had experienced, what they had seen in, with their own eyes. Previously, they just kept to themselves and done their job, but now they were excited and motivated to go and share Jesus with everyone who would listen. You know, I think we've lost some of that in the glory of, of Christmas. I think we've lost some of that going to tell the story. I think there's a song that says, go tell it on a mountain. And many of us, we don't even tell it to the people that are nearby us, our neighbors. Once we've truly seen Jesus, we have to go and tell. And something tells me that these shepherds' lives were transformed and never the same again. You know, I have to believe, just to have an imagination, that at some point, maybe 30 years later, some of them, if not all of them, started following this magnetic rabbi whose name was Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, they remembered what they had been told that night in the fields. I don't know if that's true, but I would sure like to believe that some of them were followers of Jesus later on, and they could look back and say, I remember the night 
that he was born. It would be a great testimony, wouldn't it? Maybe they'll tell us all about that in heaven. But a Savior, the Messiah, had been born, no longer a baby, but now he was a man, but not just any man, the Son of God. And I would like to think that those guys were saved as well. Their lives were transformed from that moment forward. Now, I share all of that and connect that with the Cinderella story, and I want you to apply that to your life. Where do we find ourselves? In the story, we find ourselves slaves to sin, not because that we're particular evil people, but because we all have a tendency. Cinderella was kind of innocent. We're not. We're all guilty of sin. Every one of us share in that. And in fact, the Bible says that we are slaves to sin. But Jesus came, the King, He came to seek and to save us. He left His home to come to find us and to offer us not the slipper, but salvation. And it fits not one person, but it fits everybody. And He offers that to you. And He invites you to come to Him and with His home and live happily ever after. But can you imagine the Cinderella story? Let's put a new twist on that. Let's imagine the Cinderella story if after the prince, leaving his palace and searching for a long time, and finally finding Cinderella, she refused to try on the slipper. Could you imagine that? I think it fits. Uh, I'm not going to try. Or can you imagine if, the fit, if it fit and she refused his offer to go and live happily ever after? That would be a really odd story, wouldn't it? But you know, unfortunately, there are people today who received the Christmas story in a very similar way. They know the story is true, and they take it as truth, but they don't accept the offer that He gives to them. Because the only way that your life can change, and that you can have the peace that passes understanding here, and the hope and the joy and the promise of eternal life, is by accepting the invitation that Christ offers to you. And if you receive that offer, then you can experience a transformation that comes to every one of us. You know, I would love to have a chance to tell you a little more about that, to talk about what it means for you personally, about how you can have that hope and that assurance, and how you can live happily ever after with Him. And I would love to do that at any point. You can catch me up here or, or anytime outside the service, just to talk a little bit about that. You know, Christmas is to be a joyful time, and it isn't always true because of losses or hurts in our life. And, and maybe you just need someone to pray with you this morning or to talk about your next step with Him. And I'm going to be up front. Uh, I think Tony will probably be over here as well just to share with you. If you want to have someone pray with you or talk to you, whatever your need may be. But right now we're going to transition to a time of, of, uh, of communion that we always go to every Lord's Day. It's a chance for us to be reminded of the supreme love of this one. He didn't just come as a king. He came as a servant. And he came to die for us. And so we're, what we're about to do is a reminder of his love uh, in our time of communion. If you are a believer, we invite you to come and share with us. And our tradition is that we just move forward in responsiveness and then go back to our seats. If you prefer to stay where you are, then someone, just raise your hand. Someone will come and serve you where you're at. But this is the time for us to remember through the taking of the bread and the cup of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible says that on the night he was betrayed that Jesus took a piece of bread, and he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of juice, and he said, uh, this is a symbol of my blood, which is poured out, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do that, we're obedient every Lord's Day in doing that, and it's a time for us to come and examine our hearts and our life and to remember his incredible love for us. 
So uh, we're going to do that in just a, a few moments. But let's, right now, let's go to him in a, in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, uh, may the Christmas story never get old. Father, may it never become something that, that slips into our mind, uh, in the history of our mind. May it never be something that we, that we lose the, the, the joy in and the knowledge and the awareness and the enthusiasm for. And Father, um, I, I thank you for reminding us that, that you care about all of us. And that, Lord, the very fact that your birth, the birth of your son Jesus was announced to the least of these in that day reminds us that whoever we are, that we fit into your plan. And the good news is for us. And, Lord, I ask that, that you would help us embrace the news and respond to the news. And, and, Lord, to respond to Jesus. Father, I pray now as we go into this time of communion that, that you would bless these emblems, these simple items that become uh, so significant. Uh, when, we, when we think of them and we give them the symbolic meaning of the body and the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we take them, we'd be drawn closer to you in every way. And Lord, we would leave this place changed and transformed. And Father, help us to go and tell uh, as the shepherds did. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.